Welcome to Make It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will have an inspiring guest tell their story of overcoming obstacles, never settling, and making it happen. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and review. So grab a coffee. Hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Okay, so we are live. Welcome to Making It Happen. Um, I'm your host, Tom Dalton. I'm delighted to say we're on episode number 18. Um, My next guest is an Irish entrepreneur who began in 2009 with 500 euro. He's the founder of the Dublin Barista School, the World Barista Institute, host of the Modern Day Entrepreneur Podcast. Welcome, James McCormick. Did I get all that right? Tom, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty simple person, so thanks, you, you got it all in there. No worries. How are you keeping during these crazy times, James? Oh, good. Um, just kind of what you were talking about before we came on air, I'm just, you know, like our main businesses have been, are shut down and we're gone to virtual, we're gone to online, so um, we, we're selling our coffee beans online, um, which is actually proven to be pretty good, and we also have an online training program, so we're selling bits and that, we've had to chop that course up into smaller bite-sized pieces so people at home can actually uh, uh, pay for it and use it and get some value out of it. Uh, but again, it's, it's, it's at a time where there's, it's, everything's uncertain for everybody and nobody wants to part with their money at the moment either. Um, so it's kind of difficult to get people to uh, spend their money on things that they might not kind of see value in as in um, a barista certification system when you're sitting at home isn't going to exactly be of use to many people because they can't actually use it to get a job because all, all the coffee shops are closed. Um, and But for me personally, yeah, I'm just trying to manage my emotions and manage myself and I think just challenge myself to, to do better. So I'm reading a, a load of books, which is good. I'm big into health and mindset, kind of probably similar stuff that you're interested in. Um, I'm doing a lot of running now, so I'm, I, I'm, I luckily live and step aside right on uh, Ticknock Mountain, um, so I'm doing a lot of running, and I'm, in April I'm doing a 10,000 press-up and squat challenge, so that's keeping me busy every day, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's just breaking through those kind of barriers that, you know, there's, there's, we don't realize even sitting at home we can do a lot, and there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of things that we can break through and I think all the challenges that people are doing uh, that you see on Instagram are very positive, keeping people um, activated and kind of focused on something, um, especially the fact that most of us can't do anything um, business-wise. I mean, I came into town today on, on South Ann Street I mean, and it's quite kind of lonely coming into your building that's normally full of people. I'm sitting here by myself, and I was great to be talking to somebody. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's eerie going around town. I was on uh, Grafton Street last week or two weeks ago, and there's like ten people on it. Yeah, um, it's kind of just strange, and um, so yeah. There's but there's lots of things. I mean, I'm like there's a huge amount of learning, and there's a huge amount of challenges you can be doing for yourself uh, to make yourself better. And I think as an entrepreneur. Um, I'm focusing on the next big challenge that's going to unveil itself in, in the coming weeks and months. And I need to be prepared uh, physically and mentally uh, to be able to go into that. Um, and as the big kind of buzzword at the moment is pivoting, everyone's pivoting here and there and everywhere. And they don't know which way they're pivoting to really. 
Um, so we're just, we just have to be prepared for it as best we can. And I think for me, the positive thing from personally is that I started my first business in the, the last recession, which was supposed to be inverted commas, the worst recession. And I, I have a feeling this one's going to be very, very different. Um, but at the same time, there's going to be a lot of similarities being drawn from it. Whenever I started in business in 2009, um, the city was through a recession. Half the country was, you know, it was what, 15, 16% unemployment rate. So it's not too far off where we are now. Um, and you have to seek what the opportunities are, you know, um, and that's always going to be the case. Um, so you know, I'm in the coffee industry. I don't know how I'm going to pivot around what's going to happen next. Um, but I'm going to have to be prepared for it. And the issue that most of us who are in business now is that our cash reserves are being eaten up by um, all the other kind of ongoing costs that we have. So how long can you last as well is the question. I mean, my landlord actually is charging me for April. Um, wow. um, uh, he's, he's a little bit hard-nosed. <laughs> so, um, But the thing is with that is that like my whole street have the same t landlord. So everyone has been sent the invoice, but nobody's paying them. Um, and so there's kind of group consolidations. Um, but yeah, so it's um, interesting times ahead, I suppose. Yeah, brilliant. I'd love to, uh, love to James, uh, highlight on what you just mentioned there, emotional uh, uh, wellness going forward. But if we were to go back and I suppose where like maybe to childhood or where your background story begins, where, where did the entrepreneur bug come from or business bug to do your own thing? Because I know for some people, some people kind of fall into it or it just happens or they have a drive to do it. Yeah, so my father was, um, he was, I suppose, invert, I use inverted commas, an entrepreneur. He was a, a businessman. I don't call him an entrepreneur per se because he never actually I don't think he ever had a business. Um, he was more of a, a Dell boy, wheeler dealer, and maybe you can classify that as an entrepreneur. Um, so I grew up with that. Um, I, my father being, we lived in um, Rathgar in a big house, and then he lost his business in the late eighties, and we were uh, moved down to Mullingar, and in the middle of nowhere. So I grew up and actually. And Loch Emel um, in Mullingar, on the middle of a woods. So it was a very kind of remote place to grow up. But my father then decided to go back to his roots. So he was from London and he went in the late 80s. Um, his business is actually just around the corner from mine where his office was, which was quite strange on Dawson Street. So his business or his office was on Dawson Street. He was a property, is in property construction. Um, he would do buildings up and he would sell them on kind of standard enough. Um, but his business went bust um, and moved back to London and uh, by himself, the family moved to Mullingar. He moved to London to make money and that's what he decided to do. And so he was kind of became like an absentee father, even though he was there on the weekends, he went to London and went back. And I think for the rest of my life from when I was like five until he, he died when I was 27. He was kind of always this nomadic, kind of wandering kind of guy. Um, and he had a, I think when he died, he was called like a, a phantom, or I think was the word revenue used him because he never really, he never had a, a, a tax 
address, if you get me. He was in he was getting paid in the UK and Ireland and South Africa, um, all around the place. He'd be kind of doing jobs, bits and pieces. His father, my grandfather, uh, comes from Ballymahan in Westmeath, and he became he was one of fifteen kids, and he moved to World War Two London, and uh, became a multimillionaire. Um, by building and in, going into construction, he was building bunkers uh, during World War II and stuff like that. And then he got into construction after that and became like filthy, filthily rich. Um, as in, like my father would have been chauffeur driven to school in Ealing and London. They lived in a seven bedroom mansion with a tennis court and all this type of stuff. And um, so my father grew up with a lot of wealth. Um, my grandfather subsequently kind of imploded and he, he kind of uh, became an alcoholic. He died at the age of 52. Uh, he lost his, his fortune. And so my father kind of grew up in wealth and then he, by the time he was 18, they didn't have really much. Um, and so my father always worked for I don't think he ever worked for anybody else. And I, that's what I grew up with. Um, and I always would say, oh, I'm going to work for myself. I'm going to work for myself. I'm going to, you know, I'd never used the word entrepreneur. I was just, I was always going to do my own thing. And it wasn't was it the freedom that attracted you, James, or? I don't know. I think it was more emulating my father, to be honest with you. It was more kind of, oh, it was that kind of naivety as in you kind of, you want to be, you want to become your dad uh, type of a thing if I look back on it. And um, it wasn't until I was 29 that I actually started my first business. And, uh, but my father passed away two years before that. And uh, I, had, I had a number, I'd gone to college, done the, the, the standard process, did college and uh, left college and kind of was lost for a long time and went traveling for a bit, came back, went, did a load of jobs. I was really bad. <clears throat> um, I got fired from the mall. Um, so I worked in uh, property. I worked for Sherry Fitzgerald. I was uh, I worked uh, in IIB Bank. Um, so I did loads of things that I thought I should be doing, um, but I didn't really know. Like a lot of people, you don't really know what you should be doing. And then I found a job that I liked. I uh, a friend of mine was working in mortgages, and he said, "Look, we're doing. I'm doing really well." He was making a load of commission, and I said, "Okay, I'll give that a go." And I went in and I was actually good at selling. I was found something that I was actually good at. And more so that was probably something that my managers were actually happy with me for the first time in my life. That someone was like saying, you're doing a good job. And I was bringing in money and I was bringing in sales. I worked for a company, Irish Mortgage Corporation, um, who were quite big back in the pre-recession. Um, uh, so I, I went in there and uh, I did really well for about three years. In uh, December two thousand and eight, kind of, I think when the the decision had to be made, doing, and uh, it was in January, kind of February two thousand and nine, that it decided that it was business. Um, but it was at the same thing. I didn't know what to do either, um, and I just bought a house with my now wife Linda, and I'd I'd got a small redundancy package, but I had a massive more because I bought at the top market, you know, like a lot of people. Um, so literally my redundancy package was gone. And uh, so deciding what to do uh, in terms of business wasn't driven by passion. It was driven by, okay, what's, what 
business has the lowest barriers to entry and how can I go in there and make money? And so I came up with this idea of, it's not a complicated idea, but I came up with the idea of starting a sandwich business because the barriers to entry were so low. And I became good at, at that stage, I became good at really fine tuning. How do you start a business with like basically zero money? Um, and my wife, Linda, gave me 500 euros to start. Um, and I said, okay, 500 euros is a small amount of money, but I was determined. Like I didn't know anything else. I was determined to start a business with 500 euros. There was no, in my mind, there was no fear of failure and there was anything. It was just, it was more of the fear of starting that was actually holding me back. Um, but I managed to sublet a kitchen in Stilorgan for like 100 euros a week. Um, at the time, you could do that. Um, the kitchen I went into were, were struggling a little bit and they wanted to get some revenue. And so I had access to a kitchen from 5 a.m. in the morning to, till 12 lunchtime. And that's where, how I started. So my the first 100 euros of my 500 euros went to that. And then I thought you were making sandwiches. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, so like I was, I don't know. See, this is the thing. I, I'm terrible at making sandwiches. Um, like I'm not a cook or a chef. I've no passion for food. Um, and and it was so weird, like two years later, I found in a kitchen cooking for people, like a proper chef, wearing a chef's outfit. And I was cooking for 200 people. And I, it was a dream. I was like, how did I end up here? Um, but I started making sandwiches, and the first first sandwich was terrible. Um, but I just, like anything, the more you get at it, and I was eating a lot of them as well, so I could always testing. Um, and it was a simple, simple business. I, I built out of the five hundred euro, I had a hundred euro went to my rent, two hundred euro went to a website. Um, before, the days before Squarespace and all that stuff. Um, and then the rest of it went on raw materials and packaging. And I, by the end of it, I had no money. And I had to go out and sell. And because that's the only thing I knew I could do was actually sell to, to people. So I concocted a very simple business idea. I'd gone into Sandyford Industrial Estate. Um, I pre-called I pre a load of companies um, every day. Uh, and they, they were all very, very receptive. Um, so I cold, cold called them and they were all receptive. Nobody said no to me. And then my first week, Monday to Friday, I had maybe 10 or 15 companies I prearranged to meet uh, at a specific time. And I went to them and they bought sandwiches off me each day. Um, and then at the end of that week, now I'd made hardly any money, um, as in they weren't like buying my crate off me, they were buying bits and pieces. Um, for example, on the first day I went out, it was probably the most nerve wracking day of my of my life that I was just, I was so scared that, you know, it, it took my wife to push me to kind of go out, you know what I mean? And say, just, you have to do it now. And so I went out and I was driving a five series BMW because that's what I had as a mortgage broker. And I was embarrassed. So I used to park it around the, the corners so no one would see it. And I would have this crate of sandwiches and stuff and I'd rock up to the front door of companies and go into their reception and, the receptionist would send an email around to the company and then people would filter out slowly. And um, on the first day, I think I made like 17 euros. Um, I, and it wasn't as if it was embarrassed. I wasn't embarrassed with that. I was, I was so overjoyed by the fact that I'd actually made some money. And um, 
so every day I started making a little bit more. So it was 17 euros, went to 20 euros, went to 23 euros. And by the end of that first week, I had maybe visited 50 or 60 companies. And out of that 50 or 60 companies, I handpicked 10 or 15 of the, the best companies and I created a route around Sandyford Industrial State. And that worked, you know, and I was suddenly I was selling kind of two or 300 sandwiches a day just by myself. Um, and I was making a living for myself very quickly. And uh, so looking back, it. I loved it. Yeah, I really did love it. Um, because, you know, it was at a period, I, was, I did that for 10 months um, from, my, my, I think it was the 6th of November 2009 was the first day I went out to sell until October the next year. It was almost a year. And I loved it because I was just doing my thing and I was making X amount of hundreds of euros every day. Um, I was up early I, and I didn't enjoy getting up early. Um, I'm the opposite now. I, I enjoy getting up early, but I hated getting up at 5 a.m. in the morning and having to go to the kitchen. It was depressing. Um, but then I had the whole day to myself and I was doing my own thing and I was able to contribute to uh, my household again, I was able to contribute uh, to living and it was, it gave me a lot of kind of enjoyment from that perspective. And so I think from, from working by myself and having control over everything myself was definitely the easiest aspect of, of running the business because food industry is so difficult. I didn't know that at the time that the food industry was so difficult and it was about to teach me a lot of serious lessons um, and it was about to basically, basically kick the shit out of me for the next five years. Um, so the first 10 months were plain sailing. I just thought, oh, this is, business is easy. Um, this is supposed to be how it happens. You work hard, yeah, and you go out and you create relationships. And people give you money. And, you know, I had fresh bread being delivered every single morning. And even though they're basic sandwiches, they were really, really fresh and they were, really, they were good. Um, and then... Um, the kitchen I was subletting uh, from basically kicked me out um, because I was overtaking the kitchen. I was so busy. And so suddenly I had to find a new place. And it was, like back in 2010, it was weird. Like there was lots of companies going out of business and there were lots of opportunities to, to take over businesses that were closed. And my brother was in a commercial property. And he introduced me to a guy on uh, Leeson Street um, but I was looking for a new place and he introduced me to this guy and he, he owned a coffee shop and within the coffee shop, there was a little like food prep area enough for my sandwich business. So I was very excited by the fact that I could continue my sandwich business. And, um, I met this guy on a Wednesday and I was operating a 60 seater cafe the following Monday. So, and I thought this was wow. all, I thought this was all normal. So this is obviously the way business operates. This is normal. I realize now it's not normal. Um, and so on the Monday, I'd, uh, I'd inherited all these staff. None of them turned up bar one guy. I had 60 people come for lunch. I didn't even know how to operate the coffee machine. And it was just a complete disaster. And so, But I learned quickly and I learned how to, uh, I got some of the staff back and we managed to kind of uh, get that business ticking over like the coffee shop business and it never did a roaring trade but it was it was it wasn't bad it was but it was my first kind of uh foray into coffee um but i wouldn't really get into coffee for another kind of couple of years properly 
And did you park, James, the sandwich business to the offices no. in Sandyford? No, no, the sandwich business took off um, massively. It was, uh, I, had, I think by that stage then, at the end of 2010, I had two vans on the road. I employed, uh, I employed my brother to work um, the Sandyford route for me. And then we had opened up access to town and like kind of what you're talking about in your business, you've got, you kind of happened into corporate world. I happened into the corporate world in town where all the big accountants and solicitors were looking for uh, sandwich platters. And at the time I was only really doing individual sandwiches to individual people. And, and I started getting these requests for sandwich platters. So suddenly I was going from one, one person ordering one sandwich to one person ordering for 50 people. And I was just doing this like crazy trade on sandwiches. And like, if I had really, if I was, it's like hindsight is always wonderful. Like I should have made that business into something massive, um, but I didn't. And uh, I uh, I'd ran it and I was, we were serving like five, 600 people a day at one stage. Yeah. And we had a kitchen full of people like making, like doing a really good job and, and getting platters out and we're delivering it. And like, but like most entrepreneurs, I got distracted. I didn't realize if I had known now that I should have just focused on the gold mine that I was on. I didn't even realize it was a gold mine. Um, and the sandwich business had a lot of loopholes back there, back, well, it probably still does actually, um, mainly relating to VAT. And that whenever you make a sandwich in a retail premises, and if you come into my coffee shop and I serve you a sandwich, there's 13.5% fat on it. But if I make that sandwich in, in the same building and I deliver it to your office, there's 0% fat on it. Um, so suddenly you're saving yourself 13.5% fat. Um, so the profits increase when you're delivering your food. Now that may have since changed, I don't know. So it was a really profitable, um, the corporate delivery business was really profitable. And I didn't capitalize on the property because I got, and I still have this issue today that I lose my concentration and my focus when all of the shiny objects are being thrown at me. So um, a friend of mine, this is in 2011 or end of 2000 and yeah, 2011, a friend of mine from the, my old business was working for Bill Cullen um, out in the Europa Academy. And he said, he said, James, look, we have a kitchen here. Uh, would you be interested in operating it first? And I was like, yeah, brilliant. Bill Cullen, he's well known, obviously. So I went out, drove out to Swords, and they gave me the contract to operate this uh, massive commercial kitchen. And I didn't think about, I just thought about the opportunity. I didn't really think about how it would affect my business. So suddenly now I have, I'm operating from the city centre. I have a route in Sandyford. Now I have a kitchen in, in Swords, which is bloody miles away. And I employ my other brother uh, to operate and to try to uh, run a similar service to what we have in Sandford, if you get me like a sandwich route. And Bill Cullen, his academy used to have like hundreds of people coming in to do, um, he would do talks and there'd be loads of conventions and stuff going on. So I'd be the person serving food. So I kind of go from sandwiches to doing hot food and like I've absolutely no qualification in cooking or in being a chef, but um, I relied on Drina Allen's book, uh, that famous book that she ha has, and I relied on my mother um, uh, talking me through how to make 
chicken broccoli bakes and lasagnas and all the kind of standard home foods. Um, and But that went well uh, until Bill Cullen went bust uh, and he lost the Europa Academy. So I was there doing that. and We weren't making huge money, but it was, it was, a, it was a good experience. Um, it sounds so, like you're juggling a lot of plates, James, at that time. Did it ever get like extremely overwhelming? Or are you good at adapting to all this? I, looking back, I wasn't dealing with it well whatsoever. I was just, I in my world, this was normal. This was just the way business was, and I had no experience. I thought I was, I was arrogant. I was, I had a massive ego, and I just thought I was brilliant. Um, and I thought, like, I'm just really good at business, obviously, because my father and his father, I was just probably relaying the fact that it was in my family and I was a natural at it. Um, and, but, yeah, like, I didn't deal with it well whatsoever, like, really, because I, I wasn't good at business. I was terrible. I, I, I was really bad at accounting. I had no systems or real, I had no real systems or processes. Um, and I was, <clears throat> like, I wasn't a good uh, leader, I wasn't a good manager. I didn't really treat our staff that well. I was kind of like ignorant to them um, because I said, like, you're basically the attitude was you're lucky to have a job. Um, that type of an attitude. That's how I feel looking back at myself. How I how I was. Uh, maybe I wasn't. Maybe I'm being harsh on myself, but I feel like I was. Um, and it all started to come crashing down. It was like a house of cards, basically, because I was I was turning over good money. But I was also like I was didn't know what I didn't know um, what I was spending my money on either. Like I wasn't that diligent with all my expenses and paying staff, and I didn't understand about VAT. I didn't understand about P30s. I didn't understand about accounting stuff, and I didn't even employ an accountant. By the way, um, I was doing a lot of this like just kind of blasé, kind of ah screw the government, They're, they won't even know I exist. And until I got a, a letter from Revenue auditing me in 2000 and late 2000, and maybe 2011, I think. And basically that put manners on me. And uh, What was that experience like? It was awful. Um, I, I had a number of awful experiences in the last 10 years, and that was one of them. Um, mainly because I got audited and I got like, like, oh my God, how did they, what's the story? Why are, why are they auditing me? And they're auditing me as a sole trader. Um, and so that was kind of the worst aspect of it. And I got audited, so I panicked and I got a, I asked my friend, do you know an accountant? And a friend of mine put me in touch with this accountant. I, I threw my accountant bags of invoices. And like I wasn't even keeping invoices, it didn't have a filing system. It was a, it was a disaster basically. And so they managed to put something together, met with the auditor, he took it away. And then there was 2011, and it wasn't until 2015 did this actually conclude because revenue or the way they operate is like if the guy who's looking after your audit, he, if he gets promoted, it just sits on a desk until the next person looks at it. So I had, I had four of those people looking after my, my case, and each of, those time, each of those four people kept on getting promoted. So every year my thing would, start, would just sit on a desk. Until 20, 2015, I got the decision that I owed in back taxes 12,000 euros um, for not paying my P30s property or not paying my staff property, basically. And um, they said, yeah, you owe 12,000 euros. And I said, okay, all right, that's manageable. Um, but you're not, you don't only owe us 12,000 euros. Now you owe us late penalties and fees. So you actually owe us 38,000 euros. Wow. 
Um, so that was like the biggest kick in the face I ever got. Um, and looking back, you're talking about mindset. I went into anger mode and like the world is against me and this is unfair and blah, 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 until I had to realize that it was actually all my fault. And, you know, that took me a long time to uh, realize, I have to admit. Um, but the auditing thing was was a disaster. And like you, you, you think I was juggling a lot of balls. I was actually at a lot more balls I was going to start juggling because um, a friend of mine came to me and uh, who subsequently became my partner. And he says, okay, do you know anything about barista training? And I'm like, no, but I have a coffee machine. Um, so obviously we can do barista training. My friend owned a, an English school and he was doing quite well. And he, he's very much an ideas guy. And uh, so we kind of partnered up and that's how Dublin Barista School started. And then a year later, um, uh, in 2012, we started a Mexican food business together. So within kind of three years, I'm juggling three separate companies. And I'm also within, say, as a Good Mood Food, which was the first company, I was also out in swords and I was just doing this mad, hectic logistics business of delivering sandwiches. And I thought, like, give me more, give me more. Like, I thought I was on the way to um, creating this uh, unbelievable empire. Um, and in the reality, what happens was that everything crumbled in 2015, apart from Dublin Barista School. And I suppose the amazing thing is, is that that 500 euros that we talked about at the beginning was that 500 euros kind of like I managed to, it wasn't all bad. Like I'm painting a probably quite a negative picture of myself, but that's probably how I view that time. But that same 500 euros is we built all that money, all those companies on cash flow, And so we built and built and built and built by reinvesting the money and reinvesting the money. And we built three companies out of doing that. Although we did get into financial troubles, um the uh, the end of the end of 2015 was that I, I let good mood food go uh to focus on the mexican food business that we started because i don't know if you remember back in the kind of between 2010 and 2015 there was this huge explosion of burrito bars and there still is quite a lot of them around um, but we were right in the middle of it and we were doing quite well um and we had opened up two outlets we were in Storgan and we were in Tala. And it was ultimately the, the location of Tala that killed us. The, the clientele out there just didn't want burritos, it seemed. Or we did something wrong. I don't know. Um, it felt like we did everything right in Tala. But ultimately, we were in the square in Tala. And it was very, diff it was very expensive to operate there. So um, that kind of um, ultimately closed. Ultimately, I had to liquidate that company without going into massive details. Um, and I closed Good Mood Food down to focus on that business. So I, I only really had Dublin Barista School left. And Dublin Barista School, we moved to South Ann Street in 2013. And I'm talking about the recession. South Ann Street in 2013 was 50% vacant. There was just no, there wasn't that many businesses operating here. Um, so we kind of, we wanted this street um, because there seemed to be a demand for people who wanted to learn and to specifically learn how to make coffee so they can help so they can get a job and that business just really just was always busy it was just always tipping along and i was the barista trainer um so i was the guy who was training everybody was uh, that's what i learned to do uh, in that period so i was juggling a huge amount of balls um and and as i say it all came crashing down but 
the barista school was always tipping over. And in 2015, when I liquidated uh, El Porco Loco was the name of the company, um, Dublin Barista School was just treading water uh, because there was nobody managing it. There was no one like, how could I manage one business while I was managing three businesses, you know? Um, so luckily this business was just always treading water. And whenever I liquidated El Porco Loco, there was this weight lifted off my shoulders and uh, I was feeling very sorry for myself. And I came up to the office in my building and I just sat there and said like, what can I do? What do I know how to do? And I knew I could sell. So I just sat in the office for a few weeks and I put a plan together and started calling people. I started drumming up business. And from 20, the end of 2015 to 2020, I doubled the business year on year. Um, so um, by putting just putting simple plans in place and putting better systems in place kind of looking back on all the things that I learned from all the failings that I've had in the previous five years and saying this has to work and this started to work and I became jaded though at the same time I, I reckon I had a, a mini breakdown um, just or burnout or whatever you want to call it um, I think it was completely burnt out I was wrecked I was drinking heavily and I was eating a lot of processed foods, a lot of takeaway foods. And um, so in 2017, I just had a complete sh shutdown and um, I was on holidays in Spain. I was just like, I was, I, I think for, from doing other uh, podcasts and I'm diverting a little bit from doing other podcasts and talking to other kind of guys who are high achievers and high performers, the word self-loathing comes up quite a lot. And I think I uh, did have self-loathing. I was, I, I hated myself um, uh, for the person I'd become and for all the failures that I've had. Now I don't look negatively on my failures, but came to this period where I hated myself because I was drinking a lot. Um, I was, I was way overweight. It was about 120 kilos. I was probably bordering on 40% body fat, and I had two young kids, and I wasn't a role, a role model to them whatsoever. I was just, I was unhappy with my performance as a human be as a human being i think um and in 2017 i decided to change and i went from 120 kilos to i'm down to about 90 kilos now i'm down to about 12 percent body fat just in in terms of taking care of my body um brilliant uh, everything has just done this massive 180 uh, degree change and um and that's, that's had a profound effect on my life. And waking up to that has kind of made me better in every aspect of my life and it's made me a better business person or entrepreneur. And um, I'm just more aware of what I'm doing in my business now. I'm not taking, I'm not taking on so many things. I'm, not, I'm treating my staff much better. I'm focusing on leadership. I'm focusing on creating culture. Um, I'm focusing on being a role model for my kids, that type of stuff. Um, and... You know, I think that's, there's a journey towards, for me, it was a journey, uh, the implosion uh, of that journey. And I could have kept on going towards alcoholism or I could have kept on going towards a heart attack like my, like my father did, um, ultimately. And so it's, I don't know if it, that's kind of a very brief overview of my story. No, oh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a, it's amazing, and probably two points I want to pick up on just from that. First off, uh, how important you're at the touching on it there is health and how it affects your business. So eating right, sleeping right, just exercise in general. 
how have you noticed that's affected your business? Uh, it's, I actually had Jerry Duffy on my podcast um, a few weeks ago and I said like, you know, what's the one bit of advice you would give somebody? And he said, run or start exercising. Um, that's the, like, and that's the first thing. Um, and if I look back, like I, I played rugby all through my twenties <clears throat> um, at a decent enough level. Um, and I stopped when I was 29 and um, I, I didn't run again for that's 10 years. You know what I mean? Um, and that had a very negative effect on me looking back because I didn't have any outlet, you know? So in 2017, as I mentioned, I was in, I was in Spain and somebody had given me Tony Robbins CDs to listen to. And I listened to some of his stuff and I listened to all of his stuff. The one thing that I remember was he said, just spend one hour. I think we call it the hour, the hour of power or whatever he, he describes it. But you just spend one hour by yourself a day. And, or if you can't do that, do 30 minutes, or if you can't do that, do 10 minutes. So I took that on board. When I got home, I started uh, spending an hour, spending time by myself by running. So I started running and that's all I did. I didn't know anything else, had no expertise in health or fitness. I just started to run. And, and that obviously had a huge kind of impact in where I went. And I kept on running and I kept on running. And then I started going to the gym and I got a personal trainer because I didn't, I was, I was actually scared to go to the gym because I didn't know how to lift something. I didn't know how to do anything. But, and I felt as a man that I should, but you know, I was embarrassed. And my wife was using a personal trainer. She said, use this guy, Anthony, he's, he's really good. So I started using um, Anthony in, uh, he became a personal trainer for about a year and a half until I gained the confidence to uh, go in, to start going to the gym by myself and lifting stuff by myself, which, which, which is what I do now. And started understanding how to do everything. Um, and how to eat right um, and like like I'm kind of mad into my diet now so I'm I just went through a, a week-long detox um, so before that I was very clean my diet was very clean I was kind of ketogenic slash keto or fat adapted keto carb flexi kind of diet but I would train about five or six days a week um, I was in the last last three months, I was letting sugar back into my diet and I was probably letting too many carbs back into my diet and I could feel that it, that was affecting me negatively. And was You'll probably have this, that your body becomes really, really sensitive to sugar once you stop consuming it as much as I was doing it. Um, and uh, so now I'm on this detox and I'm, I feel like, Last week, I haven't felt great because the sugar has been gone. I've been I'm off dairy, I'm off gluten. I'm trying to reduce my carbs. And uh, I just felt like really crap for the whole week. And I'm still trying to do all those press-ups and running and stuff. And have a wife and two kids and yeah. manage it all. I'm trying to, I'm trying to manage. The, it's more the emotional kind of aspect of my, and my, my behavioral kind of things I'm trying to control as well. But you never realize how especially as an entrepreneur, you let stress affect you and you let anxiety affect you. And you don't think, especially as a man, you don't think about anxiety. You, you just, you react to it. Um, and I think my, in previous years, my emotional intelligence levels would have been very low in terms of I would have just reacted to things um, and I wouldn't have realized how I was reacting from an emotional perspective. So I would have been angry or I would have been um, sure to people or, and, but I would never have, had the awareness to realize I was acting like that. Um, 
and going back to uh, sleep, I'm, I'm huge into sleep. Like I'm, I'm now wearing, I have an aura ring. I wear blue blockers every night. I take my sleep so seriously. Um, probably to the point that it's, uh, it's a very annoying for my wife. Uh, <laughs> um, and I just got somebody gifted me Ben Greenfield's boundless book. I don't know if you've seen, he's got this crazy monster book, um, all about, um, uh, health and fitness. And I have this biohacking book, massive biohacking book that goes to all of these things. Now I'm not massively into biohacking, but there's some interesting stuff on it. How have you found the blue blockers? Um, it's like anything that's, I find the blue blockers difficult to quantify how they're affecting me. Um, but I'm just, maybe it's more of a placebo effect or maybe it really is. I don't, I can't quantify it. Um, to be quite honest with you, but I think it's doing something, but I know I sleep, I sleep pretty well. So I sleep a lot better than I was sleeping. And, and a lot of that's down to the fact that I don't eat three to four hours before I go to bed. I, I try to not have screen time at least half an hour before I go to bed you know I take a bit of magnesium um I, I fast every day for about 18 hours now 16 to 18 hours um and so I'm doing a lot of things that is that's got my body into um a good kind of rhythm um so I just bought that book Circadian Rhythm um by Sashian Panda I don't know if you've come across that book but he talks about your your body being this whole circadian cycle um and uh, how what you do during the day affects your sleep and everything obviously so what the things that you're eating the time that you're eating the time that you like so i would fast and uh, i'm fasting still now at the moment um and um and then i'll eat later and that for about uh, five or six hours window and i'll, I'll still take in about three thousand calories um, but then I'll stop eating at around six or seven uh, to give me enough time to get ready for sleep. And like, I'm just a different person um, is the answer. I think the short answer was like a waffle on all day about this stuff. Um, I'm, I'm certainly a different person um, and I'm better. I feel like I'm better in every aspect. If you're talking about business, I'm definitely more focused on creating um, a sustainable long-term business rather than focusing on making money tomorrow. Um, I'm, I'm trying to establish a better culture in our company. Um, as in, I want, I want to pass on what I've experienced in terms of my personal change um, to our staff and to our customers and also to our suppliers, I suppose, if you include them in your whole kind of uh, cultural community. But I want people to come and I want people to come who are working here to enjoy working here and that they grow and become better and that they leave that eventually everyone leaves, they leave um in a better place than when they arrived. Is what That's I'm a big Gary Vernachuk thing. I don't know if you've seen any of his things. He's all about if staff are leaving, you want to leave on a positive note. So they're recommending you when you go out the door it was one of the best places to work, you know? Yeah, like exactly. And like I'll, like I'll be honest, I mean I was a very negative person. Um, and I would be angry to all of our staff who left um, because I felt that they did me a disservice and it was all about me and it was all me, me, me and it was all ego. And I would hold grudges against people um, because I was just, it was so egotistical the way my, the way my mind worked. It was all revolving around me and 
me being successful and me making money and it wasn't about it wasn't until i kind of woke up and said like uh, probably was listen to people like gary v and um I said, when you start surrounding yourself with more positive people you realize that um uh the, the negativity is harmful and I, I was creating probably more toxic environments than i was positive environments and you know my our staff turnover was high um but i w- like anyone would have blamed the hospitality industry for that and i was like well this is just the industry this yeah. is the way it is um but in actual fact it wasn't until i started taking ownership to that that people start staying longer and um, my keys my key staff are now with us five four five six years um and you know i'm putting that down to something that i'm trying to do that the company is trying to do and interestingly i was at a conference last year in dallas and i met there's this woman speaking uh, she was a, she, she classifies herself like a spiritual entrepreneur and she created this uh, amazing product and um and the product is the companies that turn over three or four hundred million um but she talks about company culture as in talking about the company as a separate person as an entity rather than you as the business owner being the culture if you know what i mean so it's kind of like you're giving birth to another person as in when you start a company you're giving birth to the company so she says when there are meetings they're asking, well, what would the company do in this situation? And not, as in, not what I do. And I thought it was a very interesting way of looking at things. And it's kind of like had an, she had an effect on me because she, this woman had this aura about her when she was in a room of 500 people. But like, I could feel her energy pulsing off me, if that makes sense. Um, but she was so, seemed to be so connected to her own energies and she was so connected to her own spirituality and to uh she yeah she was like she was kind of one of those energy uh people and I'm, I've, I've been trying to kind of get that kind of since and james just you've mentioned success a couple of times um is there is there a way you quantify success or what does success mean to you now before it was money um it was all money 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 and like i started off wanting to be a multimillionaire and and that was all that I, I thought about. And that's all I judged myself on. And Five houses, cars, trips, holidays, you name it. Yeah, and also how people perceive me. Um, and I wanted to, I want, see, that was the ego thing. I wanted people to look at me and say, God, he's, he's successful. Isn't he brilliant? Um, and then, a number, then in, in 2017, I think when I was at my lowest ebb, it all started to change. And it wasn't overnight. And I got, I'm still kind of in that ongoing change, but you know, it's, it's more, I'm not living in the future anymore. And I'm also not living in the past. So whereas the past would make me angry and the future would make me impatient um, because I wasn't achieving success fast enough. Um, I'm trying my best. And I'm not saying that I'm by any means uh, perfect, but I'm trying my best to live in the moment um, and to be there for my kids and to enjoy my time with them, especially now that I'm spending a lot of time with them um, and to be the role model that they want, um, that they need in their lives. And, and ultimately it's kind of like for the first time in my life, really like it's strange to say that I'm, I'm kind of happy or I'm happier 
than I was. And I, I have these kind of existential questions all the time um, about, you know, what is it like? Will I be happy? Am I going to be depressed in 20 years time if I'm not like financially where I want to be? Or should I say, screw that? And just like, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And if you're like, if you're putting all these things, like the, if you're putting all the plans in place and you're, and you're patient, they will happen. Um, but just enjoy the process. Um, and, you know, like it's not easy being stuck at home at the moment or not being able to work as you would want and build the empire that you want. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm trying to practice the, the gratitude aspect of things and I'm happy that I'm able to run up a mountain now. I'm happy that I'm able to spend time with the kids and um, I'm happy that I'm in control of my life, I suppose, more than anything. And by no means am I perfect. I, I'm still short. I'm still moody. I'm still, I still can be ignorant. Um, but I'm definitely trying my best to uh, put my best foot forward and be positive. And, you know, a lot of it is, for me, has been a change of identity. Um, I'm really tr doing my best to change the person that I was or that I started out my life being and kind of to recreate the version of myself that I want to be. And I suppose I'm in the middle of that right now. Um, and well, it's very honest, James. It's a, it's, it's, it's a really great uh, take on honesty, basically. Is there, which is a couple of questions we normally ask our guests, James. I'd love to get your thoughts on. With your journey in life and business so far, do you have any regrets? And then what's the best piece of advice you've gotten so far? Um, do I have any regrets? Um, yeah, I think the biggest regret, I suppose looking back on business, um, it's, it was letting my ego um, take over and I suppose regretfully how I treated people um, in my earlier days in business. Um, like, and again, this is me looking back and I don't think I was particularly a pleasant, nice person um, to be around a lot of the times. Um, and there was a lot of, I was a little bit arrogant, I suppose. And like I employed my brothers and I didn't treat my brothers with the respect I should have treated them with. I didn't treat my um, wife always with the respect that she should have had. I didn't treat my employees with the respect that they should have had because I felt that I was more important. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's been a learning curve though, you know, and, and I'm not, I look back and that's kind of a version of myself that I never want to see again. Um, and I'm happy to have said goodbye to that. And the best piece of advice I ever got was from my father-in-law actually. Um, so he was he used to own, he used to be in business and he used to own a pub and, uh, and he became a successful managing director of, of a company. Uh, but he always told me to, uh, with regards to the business I was in to count my stock on a weekly basis. This is just, particular advice um, <clears throat> and it was probably the best advice that I ever got um, but like that when you're so busy at the beginning you don't take the advice on board and um, my father-in-law came in with me and my whenever I opened up that new that cafe the 60 theater cafe he came with me the the week before we started a day before we started and we counted counted all of the stock and then then he came back with me the following week and we recounted the stock because that's going to tell me exactly how much profit I was going to make. Um, 
The numbers uh, don't lie, eh? And we, we, sorry? The numbers don't lie. Exactly. And I did that the first week and I didn't do it again for a year and a half um, until I got myself into a spot of bother and everything. Um, because I woke up and I realized, I don't know if I'm making a profit or loss. I, I really don't know. And this is so fundamental. How do I not know this? And uh, so I started doing that. Then I started getting better and better slowly. And and that's that piece of advice is still the most fundamental thing that I do in my business every week um, is counter stock and is to know what our KPIs are and it's to know if we're operating inside or outside of those. And, um, and I use KPIs in every aspect of my life now. Um, from sleep to my health and fitness to um, across the board, I've KPIs for most things um, that I'm doing, uh, personal development, all business. Uh, so there's lots of different areas. And I think it's important to have that benchmark as to know if you're getting better or not. Um, um, so that's kind of touching on the best piece of advice. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, and James, a conscious of time um I appreciate it. it's been it's been great getting your wealth and knowledge and experience in life and business so far. Um, is there any? I suppose two things. Then what's next for yourself? And then would you recommend any books? I know you've mentioned a couple of books so far, or podcasts that you recommend to any of the listeners. Oh yeah, like books. Well, most recently, uh, I think one of the best books I've read recently is Grit by Angela Duckworth. Um, really really good book so comprehensive um and i was i was given the recommendation uh last year and i only read it last week um it's obviously fresh in my mind as well but it's really it's a brilliant book um about resilience and um andrew duckworth has done this massive study case study on it um really uh, i think it's an important book to read and did you read it or audio do you mind me asking I, I read it, yeah. Um, I'm not great with audiobooks. Um, I'm good with podcasts. Um, and But, yeah, so in, in terms of podcasts, I kind of try to vary it up. I listen to a number of health podcasts like Peter Atia. Uh, listen to Ben Greenfield's a bit. Um, the uh, business ones that I listen to. Um, uh, Gary Vee, I think, is quite inspirational. Um, he always kind of lights a fire under me, even though he's a bit kind of he's a bit, bit tough to listen to sometimes but i whenever i need a boost i listen to him um god i'll have to look at my phone to see what podcast listen to if you have time let me see um i actually haven't been listening to that many podcasts recently it's hard to consume at all yeah so dave asprey has been quite good on health um Masters, Masters of Scale is brilliant. I haven't listened to him in a while, though. Uh, Reid Hoffman, I don't know if you've listened to that. Jordan Peterson, at the end of last year, he gave me a lot of clarity on a lot of psych, psych, psychology. Um, and I was listening to uh, Pivot for, to the Future um, with Will I Am, which is actually he's a really smart guy. Um, and Peter Tia, as I mentioned. Impact Theory by Tom Bilio. He's also quite good, if he's a bit over the top sometimes, but um, he has amazing people on his podcast. There's a lot of guys to listen to. There's so many. Yeah. Yourself, you know, yeah. Gary Fox, um, the entrepreneur experience. Um, so a lot of great Irish um, podcasts, but it's like that. It's just I'm trying to get time to listen to everybody, and it's really, really tough. So. And uh, uh, James, what's next? 
Be honest, like if I if we were keeping on the same trajectory before the coronavirus came through, I was on a path to global domination uh, <laughs> in terms of barista training. Um, but it's kind of changed now. I don't really know. I think that um, all going well. That I think it's going back to basics. I think I'm going to be that person like I was starting off in 2009 again. To be honest with you, I have to go back to very basics. I have to go back to building blocks and to see how I can manufacture the current business that I have to to exist in the new world that we're going to be living in. Um, and that's going to be the big challenge, uh, really. So, um, and I don't have any because I've dealt with my ego as much as I can do. I've no problems being the person going back and and being the one man operator if I need to be and starting from scratch again. Um, I have ten years experience behind me now. I have lots of uh, uh, experience. Have lots of great contacts um, that I can touch on for advice um, and. I hope it won't be that bad. Um, we still have all of our staff. We have 10 staff who are waiting to come back to work. So hopefully we can bring them back to work. You know. Um, yeah, absolutely. Listen, I, I, I like your optimism and I like your realism there as well. I think um, it's good to have a balance of both. And uh, James, for any of the listeners, where can they stay in contact with yourself or stay in touch? So I'm on Instagram, um, The Modern Day Entrepreneur. Um, I also have a website, uh, moderndayentrepreneur.com, which is access to our podcasts and stuff so i'm slowly launching podcasts i think i'm on number four at the moment i've already pre-recorded six so if six more to go out and it's like everything you realize that you know it's consistency so trying to push content out on a regular enough basis um and the fact that you know my podcast or my the modern day entrepreneur doesn't make me any money really um is trying to balance that kind of passion hobby that you have with um redirecting it to your business and stuff that's where i am yeah listen james it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and i just want to say thanks again for your very honest story and hearing like your trials and tribulations of life and business so just want to say thanks so much for your time pleasure tom thanks very much listen thanks james take care